0: Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. And we're joined today by Svenja Sowinsky. Svenja has been on the podcast before. Svenja has joined us in several of our panel discussions when we've talked to some of the participants of the online clinics. And Svenja, you have always, always made just wonderful contributions to those panels. And I would recommend that people go back and listen to them because they were really, really interesting and had a lot of great uh, content in them. So, Svenja, you've been exploring my work now for actually quite a few years, and you're using the online platform, so that's also a interesting rabbit hole we could go down so we could talk about what it's like to be learning virtually versus in person, um, but that's not really going to be the focus for today because you have a really interesting horse, a horse who is a superb teacher. You know, when people ask me, so, who are the major influences? You know, who did you really learn from? And they're expecting me to name people because that's how our thinking goes. But actually, my main teachers, my greatest teachers, were my horses. And some of us are just really lucky to have these incredible equine teachers. Often, many of us who have these incredible teachers are pulling our hair out, you know, thinking, oh, if only I had a straightforward horse instead of a horse with all these, all these, you know, mysterious challenges. But they are incredible teachers. And Darian, your horse is certainly one of them. He's a great teacher. So I thought we should first first welcome you to the podcast and then have you start out by giving everyone a little background about Darian because he is really the fourth member of our conversation today. So welcome. Well, thank you. Darian, so
1: first of all, he's an Arab Barb that I bought when he was well he moved he kind of moved in with me when he was seven month old so I've known him forever pretty much yes. <laughs> for all of his life anyway and in the beginning I was How old
0: now How old? Uh,
1: he turns 11 this year oh, okay so it's it's quite a while yes. <laughs> and in the beginning I was not I was not strictly following clicker training. I did work with food. So I have an older horse who has been with me since 2008. Darian was born in 2013. And I've always worked well on, on tricks with that older horse with food. So I always had my carrots in my bag. And uh, I, I actually always had a horse circling around me being very, very, well, tense and pretty stressed as soon as he would smell that I had my treat pouch on. Okay. And when Darian moved in with me, I started working with food with him as well, but it was not strictly positive reinforcement. I just wasn't there yet. Okay. So when he was about three years old and I started about thinking about lunging him and teaching him how to wear saddle and stuff like that that was about the time when I got in contact with a really good clicker trainer in Germany which is where I'm from (laughs) which I didn't mention before (laughs) so she taught me in a very eye-opening session there was like 45 minutes how to teach my older horse to stand still while having treats in my pocket and not circling around me and not offering me spanish walk and not offering me a hip target and not like all of those things that you yep yeah, just get thrown at you when you're not that systematic with food yeah. and you're you're usually treating for activity and not well standing and relaxing really. <laughs>
0: and th- and then you start thinking Oh, this is why people say you should never use treats when you train horses. Cause this feels tense and not quite what I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. <clears throat> and it was always so with my older horse, it was always okay because when he's unsure of things, he's very easy to handle with pressure. So it for for the handler, it doesn't feel that aversive because you don't have to apply much pressure for him to behave right. right but then darian is a little bit different so he's the yeah, fighter but... kind of horse <laughs> and if he doesn't understand something or you apply too much pressure while he doesn't understand something he's going to fight you and that was a point where i became unsure a of horse What horse
0: experience fighting you look like
1: so at that, oh, at at that th- time
0: what would that have looked like
1: At that time, it would be, so it's mostly, it's mostly been kicking. So when you, when you apply pressure, usually with a whip or, yeah. So when I started to train him circling around me, and if I wasn't clear in my body language and I just applied pressure to get him to move away from me, I would get a kick than him moving away from me. Okay. Yeah. And he will, Even even today when there's a stressful situation, he'll start rearing and kicking. That's pretty much what he'd be doing. But I've also experienced that when we meet a dog that has a lot of energy and maybe also well aggression or is trying to hurt the horses he would start biting the dog away so he'll fight the source of his fear rather than flee from it and and that honestly so if he wouldn't be like that i would probably still be working with pressure and release because All of the other horses, like I was always good in working with that until I met this horse that will not flee,
0: (laughs) but rather attack. So, yeah. Pressure and release of pressure strategies work. They have worked with horses for thousands of years. They just, when they don't work, it's a mess. And those are the horses that end up at problem horse clinics. They end up on the truck to the dealer's yard or the knacker's yard, they end up, you know, in the the black beauty story of going down, down, down in terms of positions, they end up hurting people. So when it doesn't work, it's not a pretty picture. We'll put it that way. But there's no question that you can train horses with pressure and release of pressure. And with many horses, you can do it and sleep at night. You know, that you don't have to be an absolute ogre. But clearly, those of us who use clicker training who use positive reinforcement, use marker signals, have decided that this is an approach that we prefer for many reasons. But I've always said our Icelandic stallion, Sindri, who was just such a good, pleasant, easygoing horse. If he had been my only horse and I hadn't had... You know, more of the challenges, I would never have learned anything about training. I wouldn't have been pushed to learn anything about training. So Yes. Yeah. And that- yeah, we're back to horses
2: being our teachers.
0: Yes. Yes. So Daryan I- was, was pushing you, nudging you in a different direction. Yes. And
1: so so that session that I was mentioning was actually with my older horse. But I was watching that trainer being extremely precise with her timing and teaching him that standing still is what she wanted. So her rate of reinforcement was much, much higher than anything I had used before. She was very very precise in clicking when he was standing still and then treating very fast and very rapidly. And she was the first person he ever really oriented towards while I was in the same space. He was very attached to me. And I never had had that situation before where he started to listen to someone else rather than myself. And I was standing there and I was watching that and I thought, you can do anything with clicker training. And that was actually, for me, that was the day when I decided I'm never going to use pressure again. So now I know this is something that is quite idealistic and impossible, no. but that was the day where I decided I'm, I'm going to go that 180 degree turn and I'm going to learn how to do this because I, I just never want to apply pressure like I did in the past anymore. What I thought was really interesting is from that day on, my husband says, I came back from the stable in a very different manner. I was not beating myself up anymore about all of those things that didn't work anymore because I was now focused on what was working and what was positive and what was actually going well. And I didn't get into a fight with any of my horses anymore, which was frequent before that. So yeah,
0: that was that was a life changing moment. Well, it is it is a complete game changer, and boy, do we need this right now. And it's it's so interesting that it wasn't you know an action behavior. Oh, she is clicker training to get my horse on the trailer or to uh, pick up his feet for the farrier, or you know any of those those other things. It was standing still. How fascinating, how fascinating. It's, this is a complete aside, but I think this, this week there was, and I've, I've just heard of, heard about this secondhand, so I may not be reporting it quite accurately, but apparently Elmo, one of the Sesame Street Muppets, posted on Twitter asking people how they were, and they got back something like $120 million Responses, a huge number. But what was interesting, and particularly hearing back from the children, is that people were saying that they weren't really feeling very good at all, mm-hmm. that they were feeling quite hopeless and grim. And certainly, when you look at what's going on in the world these days, it's easy to feel hopeless and grim. So, the world needs a lot more clicker training. Is what this comes down to. We need to really learn from our animals, learn from our horses, this, how do I focus on what it is that I want my horse to do, or my partner to do, or my work colleague to do, because it does change us. But anyway, that's a little aside. And, and the standing still is, is actually why we wanted to talk with you today. But I think I think we need to learn a little bit more about Darian before we get to the subject of the day. So, what did Darian start to reveal to you as you began to work with with him with the um, positive reinforcement?
1: So, at that point in time, he was about three years old, and he had spent a lot of time in a herd of stallions, just on a out on a pasture in the middle of nowhere, no, not much handling. So I, I could lead him. I, I could walk for, I could hike for a couple of kilometers with him. He was fine with that and he had not much training. So I had tried to lunge him, but that didn't work quite well. So, well, uh, there, there was not much training that he had had before. And what I started, of course, because I'm like that, person that is trying to do everything right first time (laughs) we started to work on standing still as the first skill that you teach when you actually like really want to work with positive reinforcement so at that point in time I was I knew I already had a horse that can circle and well show Spanish walk and everything around me and I really wanted that standing still being very polite kind of thing. So I didn't know about you at that time. We have a German trainer that has a very systematic exercise to teach that. And I was, yeah, I taught him to stand still while I was in different positions around him.
0: Okay,
1: And that was the main skill we started to work on. So I was very thorough in teaching that, out in the pasture in the middle of nowhere with moonlight shining down on us so we couldn't do anything and you know faster gates anyway and we worked on that and then I started because you were asking about like talking about Darren and who he is and he he does bring a couple of things with him that revealed themselves over the years so every time I was trying To get a little bit of movement from him and do a little bit more, I got stuck because now I'm pretty sure he has stifle issues in both of his stifles. And he says no a lot of the times. So there are a lot of exercises apart from standing still (laughs) uh, that will create uh, a no from him Uh, and that he says, I want to work with you, but I can't do this. I want to work with you, but I really can't do this. And the problem in the first years was that I was not that skilled yet. And that means that his nose were very, very loud. So he would pin his ears. He would bite into my hand. He would really grab the food. I would always feel his teeth in my hand. He would start shaking his head he would turn around he would walk away he he would also sometimes bite at my arm he never really got me but we had a lot of situations where I really just wanted to slap him because he was so rude around me and yeah so actually I did try for a long time to increase movement and to get more behavior from him. And that's pretty much when I started to do online clinics with you. So first you started to offer those one weekend. We meet for two days. We talk about, I think the first one I joined was a rope handling one in 2021 because I said you know I don't really get anywhere with my horse and he he's always so grumpy when I start using the rope and I need help with that and I was really relieved that when when you and also Mary Concannon, when when you looked at him and you said well Svenja your training is fine there must be something else going on there and we spend a lot of time now like a couple of years to try to figure out how to get him into movement Um, because he seems to have issues in his body that are not obvious to find but that do create interesting behavior uh, from his side so over the years I've become a more skilled trainer and now his nose are much more subtle it's a pinning of the ears it's a little bit of well the way he takes the food changes and I will change something in the exercise so he will not yeah he he will not start biting or he will not show aggressive behavior and yeah that has brought us forward a lot but the whole history we have in the last couple of years also means we're very
0: good in standing still yeah (laughs) yeah and what Dominique you were talking about in one of the coaching sessions is really the value of having stillness and teaching stillness and how much for example in you were I think talking about the agility training how That shifted how you think about the training of agility. So can you talk a little bit about your, we'll call it, evolving appreciation, growing appreciation of stillness and the teaching of stillness?
2: Well, for me, it has brought a lot of emotional stability in the training, Um, especially in the case of agility because I had started exploring agility, and Woody especially, but even Banan, it's a very eager beaver. He loved it, but I felt that I was a little bit losing control. I felt overwhelmed. I felt it was going too fast. And so I stopped for a year or two, and I started doing it again because I had learned so much about the value of waiting, standing still, including more pauses. So I included pauses in the the course, the obstacle course. And, And I find that not only does it bring more emotional stability, not only do I feel that I'm more in control of what's happening, that things will not spiral into something that I don't want. But I find it brings a lot of clarity also to everything before the pause and after the pause. It clarifies everything. And, you know, I'm sure I will have much more to say, continuing exploring pauses and standing still You know, yesterday I was in the barn and because I do liberty, I usually I'm alone in the arena and someone else arrived at the same time and was going to ride in the arena. So I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe then I'll just work in the stables. And she said, well, you know, I don't mind if if you want to do your liberty stuff in the arena. But she said, are you sure that your horse will stay with you? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm sure. And she said, it's good for my horse because he doesn't like it very much when there's another horse in the arena. So it'll be a good exercise for him. And I said, you know, we'll just use that little corner there and play a lot around standing still anyway. So we weren't doing any big movements. I was just using like maybe 15 feet square in the corner there. And, you know, it was great because the horse had I mean, once in a while, he would look at the other horse, especially when she was coming our way. But both my horses were totally into what we were doing, had no interest whatsoever in what the other horse was doing. And just as a parenthesis, you know, and this is a super nice rider. You know, she's great with this horse. This was an older horse. And she was doing these dressages exercises along the wall. And, you know, once in a while she would use her whip, I could hear it, you know. And I was so happy about the kind of relationship I have with my horse. You know, for, I could feel the difference, you know, not that she doesn't have a good relationship with her horse, she does, but I wouldn't have traded for a million bucks. And yet, Here I was in my little corner, not doing a lot. But for me, it was really big. You know, I could feel the bond between the horse and I throughout these 15 minutes. And yeah, so just back to the pauses and standing still, I do think there's so much value in it. But you know, what kind of prompted the discussion? Because they're standing still and standing still, right? Right. Because when I'm with my horses, I have a pretty good rate of reinforcement. It can be relative, but, you know, I can go around them and, you know, ask for some duration. But when we were looking at Svenja working in the coaching session with her horse, when she says he has a lot of history for standing still, she's not kidding Because it actually prompted the discussion, because here she was doing some body work with her horse, and the rate of reinforcement was really low. And I thought, well, how does a horse feel about that? You know, is it too low? Is is it frustrating for the horse? So that was one of my questions. So she was doing this body work. I think you were working near the tail of the horse and you would click and treat maybe, I don't know, every minute, two minutes, maybe, something like that. So that's when we had this very interesting discussion during the coaching session. So yeah, so they were, to begin the discussion, Anita Schnee was with us and Anita Schnee as probably most of our listeners know by now is a Feldenkrais practitioner that attends all of the coaching session or most of the coaching session and has worked with you for many years. And I think the two of you complement each other very well. So anyway, so my, my question was, is it, is it a good idea to actually reinforce during body work? Because this rate of reinforcement is so low that I was wondering if it was counterproductive. And Anita on her side was also wondering, is it a good idea? Is it kind of distracting the horse from the work that is being done with it? And so we, we started this discussion around that topic and eventually Zvenya wrote something for all of us after the coaching session, and I just loved what you wrote, I thought there were so many pearls in there that I said to Alex, would really like to share this conversation with our listeners, because I thought there was a lot of value in it. So, So maybe we can s- start at the beginning about the low rate of reinforcement and how that is possible without frustrating your horse. How did that happen? How did you get to that?
1: So initially, I I remember the conversation because Alex, I think it was Alex and I were on on the side of, yes, we would treat our horse while doing body work. Well, the two of you were more like, but I get tension and they should feel into their body. They should not be listening to me on the, like to the handler on the outside, but they should really feel into their own bodies so doesn't the clicking distract and then then I said you know I need to think about how I actually reached the point where I would say with this horse not with both of my horses but with this horse I would click body work and that that resulted in in a very very long
0: email yes <laughs> yeah. so I think we need to begin back with your description of teaching stillness because you included that in the email so you included that lovely clock exercise that you were doing in teaching stillness and it is and i think we need to give credit where credit is due so the trainer who showed you this exercise who was that
1: nina steigerwald
0: okay That's what i thought
1: she's a clicker trainer she's a german horse agility trainer oh And she's, she was one of the first people I learned from very systematically. At that time, she was still using, I don't, I don't know the English translation. So she was using negative reinforcement in her training. Still, I'm not sure if she's still doing that, but she trained a couple of very, very skilled agility horses
0: she has a training area that's filled with the most really fun types of obstacles you know (laughs) sort of like long planks that are it's the quite equivalent of walking a balance beam and some really intriguing and challenging and interesting uh, obstacles that really do help a horse learn great body awareness so interesting trainer but let's go back to, to stillness Yes. So so what
1: that exercise is about, it's a little bit, although it results in, in a grown-up way of standing still, the way you teach it is you imagine a clock around your horse. Your, your horse is standing still, four feet on the ground. You have the the head in, in front of like the, the neck is in the middle of the shoulders. It's it's a straight horse, and you're standing next to the horse. You imagine a clock around you. And you're standing, you're starting out next to the horse about three o'clock or nine o'clock. So whatever side you're standing on, the horse's head is pointing to the 12 o'clock. Okay. And then you start clicking and feeding in a, with a very, very high rate of reinforcement. So you click, you feed, you pretty much already click again. Uh, while you are moving your hand away or while you even while you're still feeding so have you have a really really high rate of reinforcement so that your horse doesn't show any uh, any behavior in between it doesn't move the nose towards he doesn't have time just right exactly he doesn't, he doesn't
0: he doesn't have time to start offering other behavior because you're already clicking and feeding it
1: yes So the only thing you're doing in between is you're reaching into your treat pouch again and you're moving your hand back to to his mouth, but the horse pretty much doesn't have time to to move in between. That's how high your rate of reinforcement is. And then you click in that position five times. And while you're feeding, you're moving around the horse. So let's say you started out at three o'clock, you're moving towards the two o'clock while you're feeding the horse. So again, your movement will not prompt the horse to react because it's stuck on your hand. The head is still looking forward and there's just, it's a very, very clean loop. But within the first 10 treats you've already reinforced different positions you're standing in for the horse should just stand still while you're around and there's food available and that way you move around the head so so you click five times again while your hand is still at the mouth of the horse you're moving towards one o'clock and then forward to the 12 o'clock you're switching sides while feeding uh, and you're you're moving around again. So you have like six or seven times five treats each in each position that you were in, and you already have like even that that very first session without any mistakes on mistakes on the horse's side, um, it's been standing straight looking forward. Uh, you've reinforced like a lot already on that. And you continue then with this exercise that you're you're making the duration in between clicks a little longer the next time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so that you now don't click while your hand is still at the mouth of the horse, but you're already including a little more more movement away. You could now start fold, folding your hands in a grown-up's position then click and treat and you're building a a duration up to a point where you know, you could move a little bit further away from the mouth now without the horse making a mistake or like making any movement in between. Your loop stays clean, but you can now move around the back of the horse where it takes you longer to come back to the mouth. So it's, it's really important to be on a duration in between clicks there so that you you're confident that you can take two steps and the horse will still not go, like still not move away from that grown-up's position that you want them to be in. And then once you've reached the point that you can move around the horse, you can already not count anymore how much reinforcement history there is <laughs> on standing still and looking forward. Yeah. So it's a it's a very, very systematic exercise. And it it already has built in this idea that wherever I am around the horse, when I have food, well, whatever I do, almost whatever I do, the hot behavior is just stand still still. and don't do anything else.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's like the first exercise that I taught
0: Darian. And one of the things that the horses have shown us is we want to really take care in choosing those first behaviors that we teach. Because when in doubt, when they feel frustrated, confused, they will revert back to the very first things that you've taught them with clicker training. So if you've taught them Spanish walk, when they feel confused, they will start offering you Spanish walk if you've taught standing still and particularly if you've taught it really thoroughly, when they get confused, they're going to stand still. That's a lot better than rearing or kicking out or some of the other things that horses can do. And you
2: have found that to be very true with your horse, Seven when you, Sonia? That when he doesn't um, know what to do,
1: he will go back to this. So... I would say no. This is, well, at least this this exercise and just teaching grown-ups or standing still is, is not the entire picture. Right. So uh, as, as you mentioned when you started out our conversation about, like, I have a very low rate of reinforcement when I'm touching him and want him to feel into his body. So... Doing doing body work. This Horace, when he gets frustrated, he will not stand still. He he will do something that is usually unpleasant <laughs> for me <laughs> at least. So the the second part that you need is you have this hot behavior, but you you really really need to generalize it. And I realized that while writing that that long email to you guys because i was systematically looking at where do i use this behavior so it's not just asking for standing still in different situations but really yeah really making this the one thing you start with the one thing you stop with the the thing that is always yeah that that is
0: that is always good to do. And the the other piece in this is that principle of for every behavior you teach, there is an opposite behavior you must teach to keep things in balance. Because I can see somebody going, oh, this sounds really great. Let me really focus in on teaching standing still, completely neglect every now and then we need to walk forward. And having a horse that is well and truly stuck, and when you ask them to go forward, they're now pinning their ears, gnashing their teeth, saying, you can't trick me. I know what the answer is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be standing still, and you can't make me move. So there is that, you know, we have to remember, behaviors must be kept in balance, and the Part of the generalizing of behaviors is also, yes, you can stand still in all of these different conditions, but also there are times when I want you to move. And now I can ask you to stand still. And the contrast between asking you to move and asking you to stand still is part of how horses learn, oh, you want me to stand still. So anyway, so generalization. So you started to to generalize the stillness so what did that look like and honestly i'm
1: not sure i would say i did not do that on purpose or i I did not do that in a planned way on purpose i believe i did it systematically but that happened so i didn't plan i need to go generalize standing still now it it happened so i use the standing still in many different situations i was describing one so when i he was he was at that time living in a different herd but we would weigh the horses on a, on a large scale at a main stable. So we had to walk there 500 meters. And then you'd be there with five horses. And each one has to go up on the scale, be weighed, uh, and then move down again. So there's a lot of waiting in- involved. And what I usually do in those situations is I walk somewhere with him. And then when we're standing next to each other my rate of reinforcing him for standing still in a situation where he's unsure of what's going to happen is very high. And then I adjust depending on the state of his tension. So when I see his head becomes a little bit lower, his uh, his ears are freely moving and not stuck in one place, either like facing backwards or or forward too much if he's getting a longer top line so whenever I see signs of relaxation I will make the the gaps between my reinforcement a little bit longer because I see that he's well he's more comfortable in the situation but he also understood that oh it's probably standing still i'm safe here whenever she's i'm just going to wait for whatever else she's she's going to ask me for and it's very quickly that i can drop the rate of reinforcement but i always there are lots of situations or when, when the vet is visiting or really any kind of training session we would start pretty much with standing still just arriving in that moment, really like both of us arriving in that place, wherever we want to work in, then also being mentally there. We always start that with standing still, we're standing next to each other. I'm reinforcing standing. That's, that's how we enter pretty much any situation we have, which teaches him that whenever I click, I don't know, let's say five or 10 times and it's standing still and he didn't show anything else. He really relaxes into that situation because that's his cue. It's not what I do. It's not that I fold my hands. It's not that it's, it's that I've reinforced standing a couple of times. And he says, Oh, well, okay. I, I I know what you want from me. And that's then the hot behavior. So okay. it's not the the taught stillness or duration, but it's really, yeah. The the reinforcement becomes right. the cue of, of what it is in that situation,
0: Q's and that generalizes. Yes, and which confirms again that cues evolve with the behavior that you are shaping. Yes, and if so, somebody said to you, "So what is your cue for standing still?" And you said, "Well, I." I click and reinforce my horse five times, and then he, you know, falls asleep. And they go home, and they click and reinforce their horse five times, and their horse doesn't fall asleep. They say, "Well, that's a crummy cue. <laughs> it didn't work with my horse." Because, of course, they evolve with the shaping process. They evolve through the shaping process. So you have you have evolved that through the shaping process, and it makes total sense that that would begin to settled are you? that after a couple of clicks
2: it probably evolved during the body work that you did with him because you know in your email you were talking about how you taught him how to release tension and what you're explaining about that kind of because you could have a horse who is standing still but not relaxed standing still can be a behavior that is not necessarily relaxed he's in his own space but he is not dozing off or he is not you know he's very much into what's happening next and so maybe you can talk about how you shape that through in order to get to that point
1: yes so so that's the the second piece that you need especially if you want to let's say if you want to do body work while clicking Mm -hmm. (laughs) as well or while using food to reinforce without getting tension that's the second piece that you need let me say one other thing about the generalization so there was that situation that I've also described to you he was living in pasture and we would mock out like we would pick up the droppings in the pasture And what I would do is I would do a short training session, maximum of 10 minutes. Then I would grab a wheelbarrow, pick up some droppings, then come back, do a 10-minute training session, then go back to the wheelbarrow. So when we're talking about cues evolving from that shaping process, what he learned at that stage, and he was about four or five years old at that time was whenever I turn away and I leave that training space, it does make sense for him to keep waiting until I'm finished. But he also knows as long as I obviously do something else, there's no reason for him to follow up on me because that was pretty much never reinforced so I would not reinforce when he was following me around with the wheelbarrow but him waiting there was eventually reinforced by me returning to that space and then starting into a training session again and that built a huge amount of duration so he is up to today he is able to wait for 45 minutes If he knows that gate where he's standing is the gate I'm coming back to, and start a training session, he easily waits forty-five minutes while he could do anything else, but he wants to do a training session, and he's not tensed there. He's standing there dozing off, but he keeps an eye on me. Right. So he's, and it's it's something that I've used also used in different contexts. So he moved pastures our. The whole pattern changed a little bit, so it's generalized again. Actually, my stable owner is a little bit annoyed by that behavior because he has that really long duration of waiting for, for example, another horse got food in a stable that will afterwards be opened. Darian is the one horse that can wait out any other horse because he wants to go in there and see if there are three pieces of food left um, from that horse whenever the stable door is opened. And that's like all of the other horses just give up in between. He doesn't. He, he keeps Don't standing he, there.
2: He has learned that waiting can really pay off.
1: Yes. And it's again, it's nothing. He does not. He's obviously not frustrated because i know with this horse we see unpleasant behavior if he is even even when other horses are around he will not chase them away but he's standing there with his presence. so he's the top of the herd in terms of well accessibility of resources yes so he'll he will not chase the other horses away but he will stand there in front of a gate, and he will stand there and not flick an ear, but he's the one who gets to the food first. Yes.
0: yes. <laughs> but one of yeah. the things that this really highlights, is something that I have said many times over, is that particularly for things such as duration, the way to really expand the behavior is to use it. You know, you were yes. using the behavior. So if someone had said to you, "All right, Svenja, you are going to teach Darian to stand for forty minutes. Start building the duration now," <laughs> you know, like, oh, that that seems like a an eternity. Oh, uh, yeah, and and boring. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm yeah. going to stand here looking at my watch, counting off the seconds, and oh yes, he just stood for four seconds more than he stood before. So I'm stretching my duration out by you know round averages it's like oh no none of us would ever build duration any duration if that's really how how it was done and I remember years and years ago watching actually she was one of my clients but she was training her dog and she would bring her dog out the barn in the evenings and she would put her dog in a downstay and then she would walk away and she'd be watching her her wristwatch building out the duration. And I just thought, oh, that's just so so boring. It's like, you know, when (laughs) you're microwaving something and you're watching the seconds tick down and it can seem like an eternity. But if you use the behavior, you've asked him to stay put and now you've got a pile to pick up. So you go pick up the pile. And at first it may just start with, can I pick up one pile and then... I'm going to tell you you were wonderful you stood still and come back to you and then gradually it expands and it expands and it expands but when you use a behavior the duration expands uh, grooming is a wonderful way to build out ground tying. you know will you stand still while i run my hand over your your neck yes click and treat will you stand still while i run this brush over your shoulder yes click and treat you know you're using the behavior to expand the behavior
1: you're so right and i and that's why i said in the beginning i was not planning on building this but i do think i was very systematic about it because again otherwise i would have gotten a mess frustration behavior yes (laughs) yes so yeah so so grooming grooming is a good point and the other one i pointed out was hoof trimming which is something we do very frequently so every about five weeks and he's like he needs to stand still for that and he's just getting treated like a lot um during that time but but let us let us reach that point in a moment because Dominique was asking about the systematic teaching of that relaxation.
0: We're going to pause here. There's so much more to come. Next week, we'll begin with hoof care and Svenja's detailed description of how she very systematically taught Darian how to relax. We'll also talk about clicking for mistakes and how this differs from defensive clicks and we'll talk about the awareness hug and whether or not to click and treat during body work sessions. I'll add in a story where I taught Panda to fall asleep by clicking and treating body relaxation, and that's gonna take us down a really interesting tangent. That's all coming next week. For now, I have a few quick announcements. In March, I'll be presenting at the Dog Enrichment Summit it's always interesting to share with dog trainers. What have the horses been showing us that would be of interest to dog enthusiasts? That's the question. So the Dog Enrichment Summit is an online event. It's being organized by Barbara Buchmeier, the author of Enrichment Games for High Energy Dogs. In her email to me when she was uh, asking me if I would, be interested in participating in the summit, Barb wrote, like you, I feel that enrichment is a vital part of a happy, healthy relationship. Although the virtual summit will focus on dogs, I would love to include an interview with you on enriching horses' lives and how that relates to dogs. I think dog guardians can learn from how enrichment is introduced and used in species other than canines. I would love to have a talk with you about your use of enrichment and how your observation skills help you to develop the enrichment to suit individual animals. Hmm, that sounds like a great podcast episode in addition to being a great conference topic. Barb also wrote, My aim is for the event, to educate and broaden dog guardians and professionals knowledge of the vast world of canine enrichment. Beyond puzzles and snuffle mats, within the world of enrichment, there is so much to explore. My audience is force-free or positive reinforcement-based dog guardians and trainers. I find most of these people want to give their dog a great life, but may be unsure about which enrichment toys and activities to select, or how best to use them. So again, the the summit is online, so we've already recorded the conversation. We did that a couple weeks ago. It was really fun for me to think about what I do to enrich my horse's lives that would be relevant and useful for dog enthusiasts. The summit is March 10 through 24, 2024. To learn more about the summit, visit Barb's Facebook group, Enrichment Games for High Energy Dogs. And another conference announcement, the Portland Clicker Expo is coming up. That's April five through seven, 2024. This is an in-person event, which is very exciting. So uh, instead of looking at people through Zoom squares, we'll actually be there in person, able to talk to one another. I'm going to be presenting there. I have a program on constructional training, and I'm going to be presenting that very close to the one-year anniversary of my new book, Modern Horse Training. And since both focus so much on constructional training, I think that's very appropriate. And then I have two presentations on a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, which is balance matters. I have both a lecture and a learning lab on balance, and the lecture is going to include some awareness explorations, so people can experience directly some of the changes that they are seeing in the videos that I'll be presenting. So they're not just going to be sitting in their chairs the whole time taking notes. They actually get to explore some of these details that make such a difference for our animals, but they get to observe them through their own balance. Then I'm going to be on a panel with some very heavy hitters in the dog training world, and we're going to be talking about uh, aggressive behavior and what you can do to help resolve it. And this this is going to be a really interesting panel for me because this is the first time at the Clicker Expo that they've included course training solutions in these discussions of working with aggressive behavior. That's that's going to be an interesting, interesting panel for me. And again, of course, it's an in-person expo, so there will be lots of great presentations to get to, lots to do in between sessions, lots of great networking, and overall the fun of being surrounded by so many positively oriented people. I think there are only a few spots left, so if you are interested, I wouldn't wait much longer to register. Go to clickerexpo.com to learn more. And again, that event is April 5 through 7, 2024. That's enough announcements. Next week, we'll return to Darian and his Grand Prix superstar level standing and stillness behavior. So train well and have fun with your horses!